Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. And it's the glory A hundred stripes, a hundred stories It's the pledge of allegiance on the 4th of July It's them handwritten letters from home It's them sleepless nights alone It's his newborn baby he left with his wife Mr. Red, White and Blue First ever edition of the Frontlines of Fantasy podcast. Uh, we are doing something new. We are launching something new, and this is something that uh, that is kind of near and dear to my heart. We got the idea. There's a lot of podcasts out there that have done like you know how fantasy analysts got there, or you know the business behind fantasy. Well, this is something that's a little bit different, geared more towards the military. That I thought would be a really interesting conversation because I, you know, if people don't know, I was in the military. I served in the United States Navy. Um, I was on the USS Boone, and for me, we had a fantasy league in that in there it really brought us together the camaraderie and i feel like there's like a, a fusion if you will of somewhat of being in the military and, and fantasy football right because you have your league mates and that the the, the the camaraderie you build there so i just thought this was kind of like an interesting topic uh you know for people that aren't in the military to know kind of what we do or what what the people in the military do you know some interesting stories and stuff like that so uh, you know, I reached out and we got a lot of good responses. And so our first guest, I'm really excited to have on. We have Kent Y. Well, no, hold on. If I'm going to say it, Kent Y. Rock, right? And that, and that how we uh, used to say it back in the day. Nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having yeah. me on. I appreciate it, guys. No, no problem. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Kent Wyrock, easy enough. And um, he used to be on the he used to be on the Fantasy Authority back in the day, and then him and the boys uh, broke off and started their own and the the Red Shirts Pod. Right, and so uh, they're killing it over there. But, uh, anyways, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good, and honestly, I'm really glad that you guys decided to do this series of uh, videos and podcasts uh, because, honestly, it's something that's really important. And and you talked about the camaraderie that's involved in both the military and fantasy football, and um, it just goes hand in hand. So, um, super excited to be here. I haven't been on a podcast in a little while. Uh, you mentioned I j- I jumped in, went and uh, did the Red Shirts Fantasy Football podcast for a little while, but uh, I had a kid this last year, so I haven't had a whole lot of time for podcasting and, and writing articles and anything. So uh, it's good to get back on the mic, and I really appreciate it. Well, it's nice to hear your nice soothing voice again. So uh, it's good. But uh, and I shouldn't leave out. We also have Cody on. You know, Cody Kutzer. Uh, C five on Twitter at C Kutzer. But how you doing tonight, Cody? Do well, man. Uh, I'm gonna basically be the third wheel as you just kind of pushed me aside and brought me in. So it's I'm fine with it. I'm. Uh... I'm I'm not uh I have no military service but I'm I'm super excited to you know be able to learn more about it and hear stories and you know kind of kind of learn from you guys so I'm excited to chop it up with Kent and get this uh 
this first one under the road. Yeah. So again, I really appreciate you coming on. Also, if people don't know, we are also teaming with. Why is it escaping me? Um, Wounded help Warriors. Me out. Huh? Yeah, Wounded yeah, Warriors. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm an idiot. Uh, we, we are teaming with the Wounded Warriors as well, and that's, we that's actually a have very a... small charity that nobody knows. Yeah, we're, we're hoping uh... we're hoping this is the launching point uh, for them. Yeah. So yeah, well, we're we're gonna try to get them up off the ground. But anyways, we we thought it would be good to uh, in, in in part in this because I do think that with the military there is a stigma for a lot of us and people that we're in and you get out and you don't really want to talk about it and there 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 can be troubles with getting out and that transition from military to active duty or to civilian life and. There's not a lot of people to talk to because unless you have people that you know that we're in, they can't really understand it. And we are expected to kind of be tough. And so we kind of internalize it. So the Wooded Warrior Project is a really good foundation. They do a lot of good work. Um, they It's not just about people who are injured in the military and that, that are coming out. Um, so we are excited about that. I think we have a goal set up at $1,500. We'll put the link in the show notes and everything for people to donate. And I think we're also going to be doing some shirts. And all the proceeds with that will also go to them. And we will... Uh, and you can get a shirt out of it too. So, anyways, let's just jump right into it, right? So, Kent, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us what branch you were in. Uh, maybe a little bit about boot camp, basic training, stuff like that for you. Uh, yeah. So, I went into the United States Marine Corps in 2010, January 2010. Uh, I I joined as a cryptologic linguist uh, with a specialty in the Pashto language, which I know is something that almost no one has heard about. Um, it's what they speak in Afghanistan or at least parts of Afghanistan. So I was working in signals intelligence, uh, listening to radio broadcasts and stuff like that and doing translating, uh, and sending that off to intelligence like dissemination teams and stuff like that. So, uh, a big part of what I was doing was pretty much wearing headphones, just like I am right now, uh, and transcribing, um, conversations that I heard. And, and that was what I did, uh, both stateside. I was working overnight sometimes because of the time difference, as well as, uh, when I deployed to Afghanistan, I did a seven month tour, um, in 2013 into 2014. And, uh, that was pretty much it. Other than that, I was just in California, just kind of hanging out, uh, playing video games, catching some sun, uh, going out to the bars with all my buddies and, 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 you know, doing, doing some of the more normal stuff. But, uh, I, I got out in, in the end of 2014. And, uh, after that, I went to school at the university of Minnesota for statistics and, uh, kind of started becoming a huge data nerd at that point in time. It was, it was more of a, maybe a passion for me at the time. And I wanted to turn it into something I could do for a career. So, uh, I did that. Uh, got out of school. Got a job at Great Clips, uh, working for their corporate office here in the Twin Cities. And uh, you know, unfortunately, due to COVID nineteen, a lot of salons had to shut down. I got laid off, but sounds like I might be going back there uh, in due time. Um, just kind of standing by. And I mentioned that I had a kid recently. I've, I've been spending a lot of time with him uh, in these last couple months, and that's honestly been really awesome. And uh, I don't, I don't think I'd trade that for anything else in the world. So. Uh, I'm pretty positive about that. I'm feeling good about everything in general. Um, Got to have some good vibes right now. Is that right, boys? 100%, right? 100%. Absolutely. We are living in a crazy time right now. And uh, every week, it's, everything seems to change. I think if you would have told us two or three or two or three months ago, this is where we'd be. I think everybody would laugh at you and like, get out of town. So, yeah. you know, so hopefully things start, are starting to look up and starting to get better there. So hopefully uh, they do call you back. But, um, you know, in terms of – so. People that were in the military understand some things, and that is one that when we we're in the military, we bust each other's balls. Okay, the branches, right? All every branch thinks their branch is the best. I don't know what the Coast Guard and Air Force are doing. Like they're they certainly shouldn't be in the conversation, but they think they are. <laughs> but you know, but I, I do know that especially the Marines and the Navy have a special bond of of really busting each other's balls um i know i've heard so i'm gonna get out of the way so i don't have to hear it because i know the couple of things i've heard are one that the marines is the men's department is one i've heard <laughs> um of, because people don't know so the marines and is the uh, the department of the navy okay the marines definitely don't like to hear that they don't like to anybody tell them that because they think it's an insult it shouldn't be but that's what they think and i've also heard that you got where, where you're uber so tell me some other 
funny jokes. I was going to say chauffeur. So you, you're on the same line there. And honestly, I, I know we're the Department of the Navy, but it's kind of like a big brother, little brother thing, except we're the little brother that's way better at everything. So, you know, they're, they're, we're the ones that the shining star in the family. And you're just kind of there. You're older. You're bigger. You got all the people, but you don't really do a whole lot. You just drive us around. You're 16. We're 14. But we're the star of the, uh, of the football team. So you got to drive us to practice. And that's, that's kind of how I view the Navy. Well, you know, hey, you know, we also can, you know, uh, put a, you know, drop a missile down your chimney from hundreds of miles away as well, where that's true. Not a lot of branches could do that either. I will say this, that at the same time, even though we bust each other's balls, I can tell you this, that like, it's okay for us to make fun of each other. But if I hear anybody else making fun of a branch, then, then, then it's completely different. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, stop. You're not yeah. allowed to do that. Okay. Just stop. Like we're allowed to do it to ourselves, but not anybody else. So anyways, I can tell you this, like as being in the Navy, uh, our our boot camp was eight weeks. I know your guys is longer. Now, I've also heard that you're, I think there's this debate as well of which boot camp is the toughest. Hmm. I, I definitely am not going to say it's the Navy's because I know I've heard some <laughs> of the stuff that you guys have done. So yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and try to say that it isn't. But w- what is boot camp like for you guys? Like, I know for us, when we first get in, it's like P days for the first week and it is like, mind numbing because you have no idea what to expect you show up you yeah. all look like a bunch of riffraff because you uh, are all everybody's scared they're you're yelling at you they're telling you to go different directions you have no idea what you're doing you're trying to figure out what you're doing with your hands and what what, what is boot camp like for the marines yeah i mean the the general concept's obviously going to be pretty much the same it was three months for us 12 week 12 weeks in boot camp um and when you first get there it's a, it's like exactly what you say they just yell at you and tell you where to go, but then that's the wrong place. And you got to go somewhere else and you're not doing the right thing with your hands and you're not doing the right thing. You're not looking in the right place. You're not, and they're just yelling, yelling, yelling. And it's just there to just get you desensitized to hyper, um, like hyper things going on around you. You just need to be able to focus through all the stuff that is happening all around you. And that's, I think one of the biggest components of it. Um, so they're constantly trying to mess with you. And, uh, I think that first week or so you're in kind of like a temporary bay uh, waiting to get started in your program. And uh, they would have like these temporary drill instructors and they'd give you, I think it was like, it was like 15 minutes. I feel like maybe less. And you had to shit shower and shave all in that time. And that was all you could, you know, I mean, you were running from left to right. Uh, and there was obviously like tons of guys in a bathroom that was way too small for that many guys. Um all over the place it is honestly pretty disgusting, but uh, you learn to kind of put up or shut up in the military, especially in boot camp. Uh, you know, obviously there's going to be PT every single day, and it's not just your regular PT, your regular jog. It's it's intense, grueling physical effort, uh, doing pushups until you're puking, uh, running, sprinting, and if anyone falls out, you got to do it all again because uh, you're building that camaraderie, that teamwork aspect. You need to carry the guy with you if he's struggling uh and if you're the guy running out ahead you're just being an asshole because you know like you should be with your team and helping them out so uh that's kind of what it was like in boot camp and you know you learn you you learn how to do drill you learn how to shoot a rifle you do all this kind of stuff too that goes along with it uh but definitely the team building components of it were the biggest part uh, in addition to them desensitizing you to all the distractions that are going on around you, what was the uh, what was what was the hardest part for for you during that time, Ken? Uh, let's see. Um, well, you, when you're in boot camp, and also there's this extra part called Marine Combat Training. It's another month after boot camp. Between the two of those things, you go on six um, rock hikes where you have like a huge, basically backpack on full of crap, and you just throw everything heavy in there. Like the, the set list that you have to put in there is all the heaviest stuff you own. And um, so it's like an extra 75 pounds on your back. In addition to wearing a flak jacket, carrying your rifle, you got a Kevlar on your head. Um, it took the total weights, probably 80, 85 pounds or something like that. Uh, and you got to go on these, you know, five, 10, 15 mile hikes. And, and across the way, there's always these, these huge Hills. California is known for having these big rolling Hills, so you're walking with like eight, 85 extra pounds on you and you got to be going the same speed that the rest of the company is marching. And you're going up this incline. That's like 45 degrees. I swear. And maybe it's not, maybe that's just like a light bulb memory. Like I felt like it was that steep, but it it felt really steep. And uh, you're like practically put your hands down in the dirt 
you're you're going up such a steep incline and so these things go on for what feels like an eternity and then after you get done with that hill then you realize you got like eight miles left to hike and you're like why did i do this i i made a mistake joining this but you know you make it through you just put your head down you keep grinding you make it through and you know i i look back i got out of the uh i got out of the military like almost six years ago now and it's the time just flies and so kind of in, in a similar vein to what we're going through right now hey it's bad times but just keep grinding just keep your head down keep going you will we'll all make it through it no problem yeah i know well i'm not you guys definitely have worse than what we had <laughs> we, there wasn't a lot of that and they've gotten it easier now like i can't speak to so much what it is now because i mean i was in from 2004 to 2008 where they all sleep is all air conditioned we didn't have that none we had no air conditioning um they're all like air conditioned and i've heard these these stories of of like uh stress cards like which blows yeah. my mind uh, and stuff like this like i i don't know like that that same stuff seems wild to me but we didn't have to do a lot of that like we had to march everywhere we went uh we had a lot of different school that we had to go to we had to learn how to like march and formation and all this stuff but like i feel like though that the marines and the navy are a little bit different in the aspect of like you know for the navy you're preparing that person to do somewhat of that job of what they're going to like i feel like the navy is a little bit more like a little bit more real world because like, you know, you have your, like, I was an engineman, and so I worked on the, you know, all the mechanics of the ship, and you have people that, you know, are cooks, and you have people that just paint the ship, and, like, I mean, there's much more, in, you know, intricate jobs than that, you know, topsider stuff and all that stuff, but whereas the Marines is a little bit different, and I feel like that's why it's a little more justifiable, have, you know, a little bit crazier, because, you know, you guys are going to be out there on the front lines of things and asked to do a lot more than, you know, us. Like, we're way far away. If people get to us, like, it's we're in a different kind of situation than what you guys are going to be on, right? So I do think that, you know, those are the differences, but I, I do know, I do remember boot camp like uh, it was yesterday. I remember the very first day of, of boot camp. Uh, I'll never forget it. And it was, it was a pretty wild experience. Now, so I don't know if you've already, I, th- I think you may have already asked, this, but like for us, like when we get out of boot camp, we go into what's called aid school and they send you to either Chicago or Fort Lauderdale. And there's a couple other ones where people might go because for us, we're broken up into firemen, engineman, and airmen. And, um, or firemen, seamen, and airmen. And so, so we go to different places to go to our school, right? So you go to a school and that's how you kind of learn the basics of your job. Mm-hmm. Do you guys kind of have that? Or like, is yeah. after boot camp? I assume for you to learn what you're going to be doing. Yeah, no, I touched on the MCT where you do some follow-up uh, weaponry training with like light and medium and heavy machine guns. And we did like the grenade launcher and stuff like that. Uh, and then after that, I went on to my MOS school, which was in, uh, Monterey, California. So not a bad gig. And I was there, I was there for like a year and a half cause I had to learn a language. So I, I went to the defense language Institute. It's, it's a school technically, but it's only military. And, uh, so they have classes there where they had, you know, uh, nationals from all over the, the world come in and teach their, their language that they, they had, um, native speakers for every single language that they taught there. Um, so all my teachers were from Afghanistan, uh, or, or at least nearby. Um, and you know, sometimes they, they move around in that region. So, uh, everyone was a native Pashtu speaker. And so it was kind of interesting in that regard. So I studied that for a year and a half or maybe a little bit less, more like a year. And then I did some follow-up training on signals intelligence in Texas. And, uh, that was at an air force base. And then that was about six months. And then from there, I went back to Camp Pendleton as my duty station. It must have been a complete culture shock going to an Air Force base because, like, we uh, it's kind of a joke that Air Force travels in style and yeah, yeah, they spend more time on the golf course than they do anything else. Yeah, that base was really nice. I mean, they they have no they they don't spare any cent when they go spending on their base and they go all out. So the food was great there, at least. You know, I was happy with that. Got practically a buffet every single day. I probably ate too much if we're being honest, but it was nice. No, yeah, yeah, I hear that. So, yeah, I just, thought, I just always think that's funny. <laughs> um, so, you, you did this. You went on deployment. Where, where? So, you only wanted you went on the one deployment. Yeah, just the one. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and where did you go? And how long was it? So, I was in the Sangin district of Afghanistan, which is in the southern region. Um, obviously, one of the places where they speak Pashto mostly. Uh, I was on a forward base called. Ooh, I should really know this off the top of my head. Uh, it'll come to me. Anyway, we're on a little forward base. We're, um, with some Afghan national army units. Uh, and we had about 50 Americans, about half of us were officers because they were kind of like an auxiliary, uh, force to kind of guide the Afghan national army to reclaiming their area. Cause they had kind of lost control. And that was in the time when we really started to first 
dial back out of Afghanistan. So these officers were kind of helping the Afghan National uh, Army with taking their region back over. And so uh, there were some, you know, Marines and my team was five guys. Uh, We were the signals intelligence team. So uh, we kind of were there to report on the area, make sure nothing nefarious was going on and that everything was safe and locked down. And, uh, you know, honestly, for the most part, it was pretty boring. Uh, I talked about this with you before the show. Uh, A lot of the time I was just listening to people just talking crap on the radio to each other, like just bros being like, hey, what's up, dude? Ah, screw you, man. Like, get out of here. You know, stuff like that. I mean, it's just most of it's nonsense. Um, But honestly, it's fine that it's boring. We only had a couple of kind of scary moments and then the rest of it was pretty low key um, because, you know, they had kind of heard that we were going to be getting out of Afghanistan. So like, why would we why would we go attack the Americans? Like if they're going to be leaving, we can just let them leave. You know, if we attack them, they'll stay longer. So um, that's pretty much all I did for, I, I sat in a tin can with some Jerry rigged uh, air conditioning uh, in, well, actually it was both super cold and super hot in Afghanistan. Obviously it's like a desert climate. So um, in the winter we did get some snow and then right as I was leaving, it was like 120 degrees. So uh, it was all over the place during my time there. Uh, I was, I, yeah, no, go ahead. I, I well, I was gonna say I, I had a friend that was uh, that was he was actually in the navy, but um, some navy personnel do get deployed over to Afghanistan, and he was over there. Uh, I think as a mechanic and stuff like that. But I know whenever he got back, he told us all about like you know like how like he came back here and it was ninety degrees out, and he flew back from Afghanistan to here, and he put on a hoodie when he got back <laughs> because of how because uh, how hot you know, that it is over there. And like people just kind of don't understand how the, you know, how hot it is over there and everything else. I couldn't imagine living. There. Like, I'm not a huge fan of the heat. Like I, like I would, as I've gotten older, I prefer it more, a little bit more to the cold, but like that kind of heat would be horrible because, uh, like I sweat my ass off, like just walking, uh, just that's how I've yeah. always been. My dad's the same way. And so that would just be the absolute worst. I feel like your balls are always stuck to your leg and everything else. It would just be horrible. Yeah, and I'm anyone who knows me or doesn't know me, I guess. Uh, I'm from Minnesota, so the cold weather is totally fine with me. Obviously, I'm I'm very hairy. I'm I'm warm most of the time, no matter what. Um, so I was cool with the snow. I had a guy on my team who was from Florida who had literally never seen snow in his life, and so that was the first time ever for him. And he's all bundled up in his snowsuit, and I just had like my pants on, and I was I was relaxed. Or he's like, "How are you doing that? It's so cold." I was like, "This is what I'm used to." And then obviously later, you know, he, he got it back in spades when, when it was 120 out and I was like, just sweating, dying. And he was like, this is what I'm used to. So, uh, it kind of went back and forth. No, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I mean that, but that's a good thing that you didn't have to really experience anything, uh, you know, traumatic or crazy over there because, yeah. uh, you know, there's a lot of people that don't have those stories. So, yeah, but no, I think that, I think that's really cool. And like, I, I guess for a lot of people, I would assume that you probably think of the Marines for a lot of people just think of, you know, you guys are like grunts, right? You guys go over there you know, as frontline guys. And so I think that's an interesting aspect of the Marines that a lot of people don't really think about or talk about, I guess, is that, you know, all the other different jobs that go into it to really kind of uh, make the team, you know, run. Right. Because that that it's same, same aspect as, like I said, on the Navy where, I mean, but I think for the Marines and the army, it's kind of always the same thought of, okay, you guys go over there. You know, you guys are just grunts on the ground and that's not really the truth. And I think that, you know, something like this is, is also, I think, a cool thing to be able to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit so people understand a little bit more of what you guys do. Honestly, oh man, I just lost my train of thought like completely. What were you just talking about? Say it again. <laughs> what was the topic? Just give me the topic one more time. I was just saying that the, how people uh, look at you guys like you guys are all yeah, like uh, okay. grunts. All right, yeah. I got it. I'm back. I'm back. Okay. Um. Yeah, and honestly, that's a pretty common like misconception it, is that they think Marines are a bunch of meatheads. And okay, and for the most part, they're right. But there's definitely like small sub sub sections of, of the Marine Corps, kind of like with what I did, where um, it was more like a typical job, and I wasn't just like running in, firing, gunning, and and doing stuff like that. But um, you know, a good chunk of the Marines is the grunt force because that's what we're known for is is um, kind of charging in and seizing um locations bases uh what have you and, and kind of mixing it up so uh but i was definitely more the occ- occupational uh, side of things so once once we already had a place then i was there to make sure everything was still uh in good shape there were some guys who did what i did and they'd go out on convoys and i did this a couple times but really only it was only like five times 
Uh, but all they did was go out on convoys uh, with the grunts and they would listen in the vehicles for surrounding stuff while, while it was going on. And so uh, that was that was kind of fun to do that a few times, but definitely not something I'd want to do all the time because I had a few buddies that did get like shot at and stuff. Luckily, no one got hit and it was, and everything ended up fine. But, you know, that, that stuff's scary, man. And uh, I'm glad I didn't have to deal with that. No, for sure. I mean, that's uh, I mean, that's kind of the stuff that, uh, you know, that you don't want to see. And um, that's pretty scary. Uh, yeah. Uh, is, is, there, is there anything about it that you what would be the stuff that you say that you, you like miss the most about it? Oh, uh, being in such close quarters with guys who you work with every day. Um, you know, you, you definitely have the flare ups. You, you know, people get heated sometimes. It's going to happen. But there is nothing like the friendships that you have with those guys, especially on the deployment. You know, you guys, you, you go back and sleep in a cot at night in, in a in a huge tent full of like, it was like 16 guys in a big long tent. You know, you're set up with like blanket walls and stuff just to have a little bit of extra um, security. But, you know, there were nights where we'd take it all down and we'd play, you know, board games until, you know, midnight, one in the morning, even though we had to be up at. 4 30 or whatever it was to start working again because you just you know you had to get your mind off things a little bit and you just had to to bond with them and it it's it's unlike anything else you know you have friends in college and i i'd say it's pretty close to that that same kind of friendship is college friends um but there's just that extra layer of you have to be relying on this guy and you have to have like a bond with this guy and if you don't it can go sour real fast if things get hot. So um, being able to, to trust these guys and be friends with these guys and, and, and work with them, it it's, it's unlike anything else. And I, I don't really know how else to explain it. Honestly. I, I would completely agree. I think for me, like those are the things that I miss the most is just the, the experience, the, the, the camaraderie that you build with these people, because essentially, I mean, you pretty, I mean, it's not essentially you spend more time with these people than you do your own family. You see them every day when you're on deployment. That's literally your family. That's the only people you ever get to see. Yeah. Um, how does like like well for us we call it liberty but like for when you guys go out on town like do, yep. do you guys get that well you know while you're over in Afghanistan or or, or are you oh. just limited to base? No, no, we were especially with where we were. If we left base, we were in the middle of the desert. So, um, so did, did they but, have stuff where they would like you know provide you guys beer or like have cookouts or stuff um, like that? No beer. Well, so okay, um, so we were on this little tiny base, but there was Camp Leatherneck was like the big military base. Um, and that's where we flew into before we went to our small one. Oh, Camp Nole. That's where my, li- I, I knew it would come to me. Camp Nole is where I was. And, but in order to get to there, we had to fly into Camp Leatherneck, which was the big one. And it had like, uh, you know, British forces and, and a whole bunch of other different countries had their forces stationed there, um, for different ops and stuff. So, um, on the British side of the base, they were serving beer. We were not allowed to get it. Um, none of the American troops were, um, but, you know, they did have some good services on Camp Leatherneck. That was a pretty big, nice, well, relatively nice anyway, um, area that, you know, I, I was there for maybe like two weeks when I got to Afghanistan and then like a month or so before I left. So probably six total weeks I was on the nice base. And then the, the rest of the six months I was in the crappy one in the middle of nowhere. But um, at least having that little bit of time at the nice place was was all right. Yeah, I mean, for us, because I mean, I've, I went on two deployments, and one was like South America, and then the other one was like a med cruise, basically. And we basically you stay out for like thirty days at a time, and then you, you would hit a port. We'd be there for like two or three days, which was just debauchery, and because yeah. everybody you've been you've been locked up for that long, so everybody's going straight to the bar. But yeah, so I was I was always curious kind of how that worked, for you guys. But that that makes sense that obviously you're not going to be going out on town. Like, hey, what's up, guys? Like, yeah, <laughs> just go of- hang out with some of the locals. <laughs> <laughs> can i get your finest lager or you know is that cool or you know yeah or, no, or goat's sense. milk whatever you got really i'll yeah. take it um but on, on camp Leatherneck, they did have like a uso set up where you know they had like some video games in there and stuff um and uh you could go hang out in there there was like some restaurants and stuff sort of um on base that you could go to as well um and, and we could go do that in our in our free time after work hours but i mean still you're stuck you know kind of on base so to speak yeah, I mean that's I, yeah that, that makes a lot of sense. So I guess too as well. I mean you had mentioned uh, in our, our talk before this that uh, you are in a fantasy league with uh, some people that you de- that, that you deployed with. 
Is this something that you guys ever did uh, while you guys were deployed, or was this something that was after you kind of got out and everything you got back when you guys set this up? No, honestly, for for me, it was it was after I got out. I didn't really start playing fantasy football, honestly, until I got out of the military that next year. I, I had kind of paid attention to the NFL and watched games and stuff, but never really got into fantasy. Uh, and then there was an open spot in some of my other leagues, and I jumped in, and obviously I was hooked uh, if I'm here now. So, um, But I, I did start up a league with, uh, I think it was, so let's see, it ended up being three of the guys from my team, and then, a, and then two or three other guys that also deployed at the same time. And then another handful, a couple of guys that were also in the Marines that some of the other guys knew. You know, a little bit of a spider web, but uh, certainly five or six guys that were close friends of mine. And I deployed with them and I hung out with them a lot when we we're back in California and all that. So it was a good way to stay in touch with them after I got out. You know, you know, and with some people already, I, I've kind of lost touch with them. I haven't, you know, I see maybe them on Facebook or something, but even that I don't use very much these days. So, um, reaching out and being able to talk with someone even if it's about fantasy football uh it's good to catch up with them and and we met up in in vegas a couple times since then and you know gotten together and hung out and we went to lake tahoe uh last year for a bachelor party uh that was really fun and it's good you know i don't know if if i didn't have the fantasy league i don't know if we would have done those things after i had gone out and moved back to minnesota and maybe lost touch you know you never know so having the fantasy league there to kind of connect us over time has been awesome. Not to mention I've won that league three out of the last four years. So I'm raking in the cash because these guys are just deep pockets and nothing else. But other than that, uh, it's still really fun. They'll put up a fight eventually. Maybe. Hey, you know, yeah, maybe they should uh, tune in sometime, you know, we'll, we'll help them out, you know, try to try to get that <laughs> dub. Yeah. But, uh, no, so I, I've mentioned, like, when I was in, we actually uh, did a league, which was tough, right? Because, like I said, I was in from 04 to 08. So you can imagine the Internet wasn't great here, like, in the mm-hmm. States. So imagine the Internet on a, on, a, on a ship out in the middle of the ocean. It was horrible. Like, it would take, like, just to get to ESPN, it would take, like, 20 minutes to log in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so th- there wasn't a ton. Like, if you wanted to make a move, like, you had to really want it to be able to get on there and make it because you weren't like just running on there grabbing the waiver wire like it'd take a while like you might be waiting like you put in that waiver claim you're waiting for 20 minutes and hoping one of you get it first for, for the other one right but the parts about it that i love was basically like because you know we'd be um you know on the mess decks or whatever getting ready to eat or whatever we'd sit down and we'd talk about trades and stuff like that or we'd hey man i'll tell you what dude i will you throw me jamal charles Right. And I will stand two of your next watches, you know, and stuff like that, like trying to sweeten the pot and stuff like that whenever. So there was a lot to it. But in the end, what it really does, what it really did, it was, uh, it was a big morale boost for us because when you're stuck out in the, middle of the ocean, when all you see is the ocean, 20 to 30 days at a time, like you start to lose your mind a little bit because you go outside, it's still ocean. Like people think the ocean's beautiful until yeah. you live on it. And then you're like, okay, this is getting kind of old. Like I want to see something different. Yeah. And so anyways, so we, we, it was a big morale boost. And for us, like when you're over in like the Mediterranean, it's like an eight hour time difference ahead. Mm-hmm. So NFL games are starting like the night games. It's like late. It's like midnight. Like yeah. Monday night games are starting at like, you know, four or five in the morning, stuff like yep. that, you know? And so like you had to really want it to stay up and watch football. But we did like the, the mess decks were always busy. People were always sacrificing their sleep to be able to stay up and watch it. Cause like, it's the little things that you take away to be able to watch. So you have like the Armed Forces Network, which is what all of us watch. Yep, yep. And, and so that, that's what we would do. So like with me, like fantasy football was something that I always felt like, I was like, you know, it, like I said, it was a big morale booster. And so I know that that's one of the, my biggest always takeaways from fantasy football is still the same, is that it, how it, it kind of builds that, that same camaraderie of people. When you have those live drafts, you show up, you all bullshit, you bust each other's balls the entire time. It's different, obviously, because we're not going out to fight a war or anything like that. But yeah. at the same time, I think there's aspects to it that are similar. So, yeah, so I mean, I, that's, that, I think that's an interesting thing. And I think it's cool that you guys are able to do that and kind of keep things, um, keep in touch through that as well, because it's just another aspect to be able to do that. Yeah. And, you know, you, you reminded me of something. If you think you're in a league right now with some of the best shit talk you've ever heard in your life, nothing on a military league. You have absolutely nothing on it. I promise you, I will upload my group text. Uh, no, actually, I probably shouldn't. It'll probably be incriminating, but it's it just gets awful and dirty, and they are we're all just scoundrels when it comes to this stuff. And because you know you get hyper competitive, because that's how all of us are, obviously. 
uh, everyone who's gone through the military is competitive to some degree. So when you're, when you're going head to head, watching, you know, football, texting each other the day of the game Sunday, it's just nastiness. And it's super fun though, obviously, because you know, it's the same way me and Kevin like to crack jokes. It's, it's good at the end of the day and and we know it's all for fun. And, and it's just, uh, it's something that no, no other league has, I promise. Ken, you gotta give us a you gotta give us a little preview. What's one of the worst things that you have said that you can share? What's one of the worst things that you have said in terms of the shit talk to somebody else? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Wow, I should have prepared for this show. Um, no, I mean sure. I should have too because I didn't know I was going to ask. It no, that's right fair. Now, that's so. fair. Uh, is, is there is there anything that sticks out to you, or may, maybe not nothing you said, but is there something that you guys always like? joke about like oh you're gonna say this again you know what i mean so anything like that oh man i'm gonna struggle to remember something right now probably something about somebody's mother or yeah or something oh, like those, that, are, those are the common ones I, I was trying to avoid <laughs> i was trying to avoid like maybe the obvious ones uh, those 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 happen pretty pretty commonly um, Yeah, it's just a regular wednesday right well okay so <laughs> There's a guy in our league who is Mormon and we all make fun of it and he's, he's cool with it. He's fine with it. But anytime he gets a win, we just like to, we, we like to say, Oh, you only won. Cause you wear magic underpants. Like every other Mormon does. That's the only reason you won. You got magic underpants on. You cheated. Get your magic Mormon powers winning your game for you every week. Nice, I don't want to, nice. uh, I'll have to look, see if I can find anything else later maybe, but um that's one that just comes to me off the top of my head yeah I, I think that really prepared me for the real world though once i got out was the the amount of shit that people can talk and because you have people from all over the world or not all over the country too so you're you if you you know if you're like for me i, I came from a small town in missouri where you know it was predominantly white so being put into that like i think it, it, it just adds that extra layer of like um cult not culture but um being around people's different you know, where you're not used to being around uh, you know people and environments i guess and then you bring all that together and it can make for a lot of shit talking and um you better be prepared and you become very quick-witted very quickly or you're going to get your feelings hurt so I'm scrolling through my group text right now. So if I find anything good, I'll let you guys know. I guess as well, um, you know, after you got out and you decided to, it, was that always the plan for you is that you just wanted to do the four years and then get out and go to school or, you know, I didn't really have a plan. Um, you know, I'll be honest. I went into the military cause, uh, I did fail out of college. I went to St. Cloud state for a year and partied a little too much. And, uh, I, there's there's some other Marines in my family, my dad, my two uncles, uh, my grandfather, all Marines. So, you know, there was kind of some influence there guiding me towards it. And that's OK. I, I think it was one of the best choices I ever made in my life. But uh, I didn't really have a plan once I joined. I was just kind of there to to set myself on a track and, and figure out what that track was along the way. Um, so I kind of just ended up making that decision, you know, three and a half years into my uh, well, actually, I was on my deployment when I had to make the choice, and uh, I said, mm, you know, I, I've, I've, I've put in my time. I served my country. Uh, I, you know, I got my GI Bill waiting for me when I get out. Use that. That thing is amazing. Oh my god! I completely. I mean, if you ever want to go to college, just join the military. It's, it's not that hard. I promise. But the GI Bill, you know, definitely was worth it. And so I, you know. Then just switch to something I wanted to do in school, and then here I am. Yeah, I think that is always a misconception. There's always a lot of people that are like, "Oh, I, I couldn't be in the military. You know, I can't handle people like telling me what to do or yelling at me." And I'm like, "It's not really like that. Like, at least like like the Navy, and I'm sure the other branches are the same. Like, once you get past boot camp, once you get past all that stuff, and you're actually just in, you're just, you know, it's not really like that. People aren't sitting there screaming at you all day. Like I said in the Navy, it's much more like a job. I mean, obviously, you know, when you're you know captain or something like comes down, it's like you know you obviously have some sort of fear there because obviously that guy, the, the power the guy has and everything." So Stuff like that but you know at the same time it is much more like a job and there are some benefits so now obviously there's negatives to it as well because you know most jobs you're not on deployment for six to eight months and um you know some different situations that you get put in and stuff like that so and obviously other branches completely different you're you're, you're you know you are cashing a check up to your life right and that's what mm -hmm. we do whenever we join obviously there's differences of it but i always think that that's something that people always say I'm like yeah I, i'm pretty sure you could do it like it's not 
it's it's i mean unless you're just not somebody that you know like you're a homebody you never want to leave stuff like that like i joined the navy my main reason for joining the navy was because i wanted to see the world and i knew that that was going to be my best opportunity to see them yeah. as most places as i wanted to so that's the reason i joined the navy and get paid to do it too yeah. and i tell you what, there were there were some like softies in my boot camp platoon i mean straight up like they were crying and stuff when when you know shit hit the fan like and they end up making it through, and they're you know a little bit more lenient in that regard once they got to the end of boot camp. Probably still a little bit on the softer stuff, but it's not. And I mean this completely seriously. It's not that hard. Uh, if you think you aren't physically up to the challenge, you will be by the end of it. I mean, I went from doing like two two pulls to three months or something. Let's run it. I ran like a nineteen minute three miles. Just I was in the best shape of my life when I got out of boot camp. It was unbelievable. And, and they'll get you there. They will. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, I mean, I know it's not as crazy as it was in like Full Metal Jacket, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not that. But, I mean, I know we had a guy yeah. that in our, in our, we had a guy in our division who he was way overweight when he came in. And mm. I don't like, most people didn't think he was going to make it because you have to like still hit a standard by the time, like right before graduation and stuff like that. There's certain things that you have to do. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people didn't think he was actually going to make it, and he did. So, all right, yeah, I missed whatever you just said there. <laughs> it wasn't important, to be honest with you. It wasn't all that. It I, was, didn't, I didn't catch it. Yeah, it, it wasn't that big of a deal. So, I guess, I guess, before we kind of wrap this up a little bit, what you know, what made you, I guess, want to pursue fantasy football? Was it just you got into it and you started enjoying it? Do you do you draw any any parallels between the military and you know fantasy or the fantasy community or whatever? Yeah, so I got into fantasy football, you know, as I said earlier, I went to school for statistics. And so uh, some of the first stuff I started doing with the the skills that I learned there was taking, you know, fantasy football data well, and, and, and stuff like that. It was my first year playing fantasy football. I started building, you know, models and graphs and projections and charts and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and obviously it started working for me. And, uh, you know, I had some some success in the fantasy football realm. So uh, a couple of years later, you know, I came in for the, the 40 fell i uh, hopped on the podcast i enjoyed that a lot and reached out to some other places got some some paid uh, uh work going on there and so it was kind of fun doing something that i wanted to do got a little bit extra you know spending money nothing nothing much but something something just to keep you going and uh i was able to use kind of the skills that i learned in school and i got to do something that i loved and it was just a great combo so one thing that i, I really like about fantasy football is that it keeps groups of people together. And so, you know, not only do I have my military league, also when the fantasy footballers first started, I was a podcast season 15. I started listening to them and uh, I started, um, you know, it was 12 guys at the time, including myself. Uh, I decided to commission a league for, for members of the podcast, other listeners of the podcast. And we are still to this day going. And we also started a separate dynasty league. Uh, we've had a couple of people kind of change in and out, but it's always been a replacement listener of the league or excuse me, listener of the the fancy footballers podcast. Um, so it's really cool that you can just have this tight knit group of people. I've never met any of them in my life, but now I would say to some degree, we are all friends, uh, just playing fancy football for five, six years. And so, uh, it's kind of cool that, you know, fancy football can do that. We all have the same exact, um, hobby and we're just communicating through it kind of a thing. And so. I relate that to the military and saying that I didn't necessarily do the same job as everyone else there, but you know, I was working with my team of five guys or my, my, you know, 50 Americans that I was with on the deployment, you know, we're all doing the same thing together a little bit more, uh, a little bit less uh, volunteer in this, in this case, but certainly we're all in it together. And so we kind of had that understanding with each other. And so if you met anyone in the chow hall, you could sit down, have a conversation with them, talk about, know what's going on you know they get any letters from back home any care boxes anything like that there was always something to talk about because you just had these shared kind of interests going on at the same time and so that's exactly like fantasy football and so um have using that in tandem having my league with my the guys that i deployed with has just been awesome it's been a continuation of the same exact kind of congruency we had when we were serving together so it's it's awesome yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think I think that is what sort of 
uh, after I got out and everything else. And once I kind of settled down, because I had a little, I, I still thought I was still in the military, at least with uh, dr- the drinking and everything else. Once I got <laughs> out, I finally settled down a little bit. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was one of the reasons why I did. And I think that is a, a really good point about, you know, of everything and how it all kind of uh, correlates in, in some certain way. So yeah. I guess with that, like, uh, you know, I guess let, let's actually talk about a little fantasy, right, before, before we wrap this thing up a little bit, right? Sure. I mean, we, we can't have a fantasy, you know, something about this without, you know, talking about fantasy. So, I know it's been a little bit. Who is one player that you that okay, I got a couple for you. Who is one player that you want to come away with every draft you're in with? Oh, man. Right now, it's looking like Kareem Hunt. Um, I thought at the end of the year for the Browns last year, he was looking really strong. And that was even with terrible play calling and a, and a temporary coach after Kitchen got fired and all that stuff going on. They got Stefanski in there. He's my guy from Minnesota. You might remember he was ROC last year and we had a, a large amount of success offensively speaking. So if I can see that translate over to the Browns offense, where arguably they have a top five talent, talented offense roster, excuse me. Um, you can see that translate to everyone who's on the field. It could be Chubb and Hunt. It, you know, we've seen backfields before where both guys are getting uh, tons of work, and obviously Hunt has that PPR value there if you're in any sort of format like that. Um, I'm seeing him looking like he's going in like the late sixth round right now, and so you're talking, you know, he could be your running back two, and you can load yourself up with, uh, you know, a couple top tier wide receivers or something like that, maybe a a big tight end like Kelsey or Kittle or something, and still get Hunt as your you're running back to I'm sold on that. Um, I've gotten him in a lot of best ball drafts so far this off season. He's someone that I, I definitely have a high share of, especially uh, in a couple of dynasty leagues. I even traded for him and, and got him in different ways. So uh, I'm pretty all in on him. Obviously the talent is unquestioned. He only had a hiccup in his career due to off field stuff. Uh, he's, he's as good as they come as a running back goes. Again, what's the uh, what's the most that you've paid for uh, for Hunt in your dynasty leagues? What's the you said you traded for him in a couple of spots? What is the most that you've paid for him? Oh, that is a good question. I might have to go look. If I remember correctly, it was part of a super big trade. Like there was like four or five pieces on each side, so it might have not been like a real exact price. Okay, so then, um, how about how about in terms of rookie picks for this year? What's the what's the highest pick that you would give give for Hunt straight up? Ooh, I think I think I would probably trade like a very early second for him this year. I think I'd trade it as much as that if they if they wanted it. I think you can get them for cheaper, maybe more like a mid second, uh, depending on who you're talking to, but. Um, I agree. yeah, I, I think that I would be willing to pay that and a little more if they, if they really pushed me. Yeah. I mean, and he saw, I mean, he's somebody that, I mean, I, I, especially after this year, I mean, he's definitely, I, I can't imagine the Browns bring him back again for yeah. another year after this year. So, yeah, I mean, he could, he could be somebody that lands in a spot that, uh, where he takes over that starting role. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting one, not one that, uh, is gaining a lot of buzz, um, at least yeah. currently. So who is your favorite sleeper right now? Ooh, sleeper. We talking like double digit rounds type sleeper? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so let's say 10th round and beyond. Um, I think Ooh, man. That's a good question. Uh I I doubt he stays there for much longer, but I think Deontay Johnson would be a good guy in this sort of range. Uh he I I've seen some people talking about him on Twitter, so I'm sure by the time we're drafting uh, in the fall that his ADP is going to skyrocket. But for now, anyway, he's a sleeper uh, in the fact that, you know, they just drafted Chase Claypool. Um, you know, you got Ben Roethlisberger coming back to the offense. Juju Smith-Schuster is the one there. Uh, people thought James Washington was going to be, but then by the end of the year, Deontay Johnson had kind of stepped into that role. So if he can continue that and kind of keep both Washington and Claypool out of the picture, and not to mention, you know, they also signed Eric Ebron as their tight end. So, and maybe that's another way he could lose targets, but I think he's he's a lock here for a decent amount of target share. You're not going to hear any uh, issues uh, from this side because uh, I am a Deontay Johnson uh, truther, and yeah. so I love me some Deontay Johnson. So he looks really good when, like, he just has that style of play that just every time he catches the ball, you're like, wow, like he just looks good doing what he does. No, no doubt. And I think, you know, there's been those rumors going around that Juju may not be uh, there after this year. So, I mean, he could end up being the wide receiver one after this year. Mm. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. All right. So 
On this next one, I want you to give me the most bold prediction, the scorching melts your face off like napalm prediction for 2020. Kyler Murray is going to be this year's Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson's going to be outside the top five. Oh, yeah. So that, see, see, you went spice. Uh, I went with a combo. I went with a combo. I went, went, I went, with, a combo. I went <laughs> yeah. with a combo. The, the um, one two piece chicken dinner. Yeah. I love Lamar Jackson. I really do. I know that rushing is the cheat code for quarterbacks, and obviously he's really good at it. I'm worried that the Ravens don't, as a team, have as much success running the ball, even though they drafted J.K. Dobbins. Even though they still have Mark Ingram, even though they've got a couple other running backs and a solid O line and everything, it's just it's you know running the football. And we can get in a whole conversation about this in the NFL side of things, but running the football just typically doesn't continue to be successful. You can be successful for short stints and and separate variations, but if they're not able to get that going and keep it going like they did last year, they're going to run into problems and they're going to have to rely on Lamar as a passer. He is a good passer. Don't get me wrong. He is not an elite passer. So if he gets stuck having to throw the ball, they're going to run into more problems than they did last year um, relative to how they did. And, uh, and obviously that was like a perfect storm of fantasy relevance for him. And he, he was throwing a t- What was his touchdown percentage? Like seven? Like it was like huge. So I don't see that happening again. And, and Kyler Murray, you know, he gets DeAndre Hopkins this offseason. Uh, they're on an upcoming offense. He had an out- outstanding rookie year, honestly, all things considered. Uh, and if he's able to take that next step, which I, you know, seeing what I saw and seeing the numbers that he put up, I see no issue with him being able to do that with uh, with his wide receiver core the way it is. And, um, you know, Kenyon Drake's there and he spiced things back up for them later in the year. I mean, they look good. That offense was really rolling at the end of the year. So he could he could take a next step up and he's instantly a you know, top five quarterback. He, he's arguably. Well, no, I think Lamar Jackson is still a quarterback one in dynasty, but Kyler Murray's a very close number two. Really, Lamar Jackson is, is QB1? I would think that'd be Patrick Mahomes. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, you might get all Well, I mean, I, no, I mean, I, I'm, cer- I'm certain there's probably uh, a debate there okay. um, on which one we want, right? I, I mean, would, I. Yeah, I'll go Mahomes one, Jackson two, Murray three. I'll go with that. I'm with that. Just because he's the better, pa- he's the best passer. Is that fair, Cody? Is that how you see it? I probably have Dak at three, but I, there's definitely, there's definitely a. An argument to be had for for Kyler for sure, dude. The Dak contract stuff right now is just throwing me for a loop. I I love yeah. Dak; he's a great yeah. player. I just don't know what's going to happen with him. And if he doesn't resign with the Cowboys, you don't know where he's going to end up, and that can instantly tank his value. So that's that's my only Dak criticism right now. But right. it's not based on the player whatsoever. Do you think the report that they offered him five years, one seventy five, is true? I, you know, so. A lot of people are reporting that like, oh, he wanted, X, I don't even know what the numbers are anymore. He wanted X amount of dollars and it was only this many dollars per year. And that's hardly ever the real reason that these quarterbacks don't take contracts. It's usually because of the structure or, um, you know, when the outs are, are plugged in there and incentives and all sorts of, there's so much stuff that goes into these contracts. It's hardly ever just a, a blanket statement. Oh, I want $45 million a year. And if it's not that, I won't sign. That's hardly ever the basic issue. So I don't, I don't know. You know, maybe he was offered that, but the contract, uh, but the guaranteed money was was not very good, and he was only really guaranteed two years of it or something like that. Um, I, I guess we just don't know until we get real contact details. But it's possible that he turned it down, and it was just a poorly structured one where that that was potential salary, uh, but he just wasn't ever going to be able to get to it. I don't know. Forty, like if he's really wanting forty-five million a year, that just seems a little high. Because like, that, that's kind of like the Patrick Mahomes territory of money. Because these guys can only get so high, right? Unless the unless the salary cap is gonna. I know it's supposed to go up uh, once the new CBA and everything. Yeah. But I, like I know that Patrick Mahomes has talked about it, and his agent has even talked about it that that Mahomes doesn't really want to break the bank. Like that's not what he wants to do. He wants. He cares more about winning. Than he does about necessarily the money. I mean, so, he's yeah. still going to get paid, right? And he, I mean, let's be honest. Mahomes is crushing the endorsements; like he is all over everything here. And so, but I, I do think that that is something that is a, kind of an interesting conversation. Like, I think these guys should get whatever they can get, right? But at the same time, like you have to get to a point where, okay, we're going to give you. Say they did give Dak fifty million. Well, a year. I mean, then what do you do with the rest of the team? Then I mean, yeah. you can't build a team yep. around it. And then what's the point? Yeah. And so, like. 
I get the give and take to it, you know, because I'm certainly not on the owner side. Because I know there's a lot of fans that I don't ever understand. It seems like always on the owner side of these things, and I don't think that uh, is makes any sense to me at all. Like the owners are, are doing fine for themselves, and so you know, yeah, so the, and right. the players are the ones putting their body on the lines and should be trying to get as much as they can get. I get that part of it. I just don't think Dak to me is worth. If if we're saying that's the top of the quarterback scale, I don't think that's where he should be. That's yeah. not where he slots in for me. I completely agree because I, you know, I think it's it was in the last you know CBA era, if you want to call it that. Uh, there wasn't a Super Bowl winner with a quarterback with a cap percentage larger than like fourteen, and I think you know this deal would be in like the closer to twenty range or something, so eighteen to twenty range. I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. It'll depend on the cap number for twenty twenty, but um, it just you know paying that much money to one single person, even if it's a quarterback, even if it's the most important position it's still too much and it's just too much, you know, resource allocation and you just, there's not enough to go around anywhere else. And a lot of people just say, yeah, well then you just draft guys and you rely on young players and they just don't understand that that might not work. In fact, it doesn't work most of the time. So it's, it's tough for them to sink so much money to these guys, even if they're good, even if they deserve it. I wish all these guys got paid exactly what they wanted. I truly do. They all deserve it. They're incredible athletes. But if the cap is in play, it's a zero-sum game. And so the 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 GMs have to treat it that way. And so that's where I'm at. I love Dak. I, he's an amazing fantasy quarterback and real quarterback, honestly. Um, but I don't know if he's worth that money, to be perfectly honest, from a cap perspective. <clears throat> I know they've talked about it, too, is the fact that a lot of times it's the union that's pushing them to get as much money as they possibly can. And that's yeah. actually some of the reason that, that maybe sense. these players would want to sign for a little bit less. But, like, there's so much pressure from the union because if, like, let's say Mahomes came out and said, all right, I'm going to sign for $30 because he wants to take less to help the team and to be able to keep the team sustainable, that that would be a big problem for everybody else because then all of a sudden all every all these other teams would expect their, their quarterback to do that. And what they really want is them to get every last dime they can out of the owner so they can continue to push those contracts up. And so while I, I guess I understand that, but at the same time, I don't know, I guess as a fan, you just want to see your team continue to win. And as a Chiefs fan, finally seeing a Super Bowl, for the, I never thought I would see in my entire life. Like, I want to see more. I, I want to know what the Patriots, uh, you know, I, 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 I kind of want to know what that's like. You know, you know I was going to say that Mahomes should really go with the Tom Brady model, honestly, if he wants to continue winning, if that's truly what's important to him. Go with the I mean, you still get millions of dollars. Like, you know, what? what is 30 versus $20 million? It's nothing to me. That's the same amount of money in my mind right now. But obviously, it's a different perspective for them, and I get it. And And the union, you know, part of it makes sense too. But uh, if he wants to win, that's how you should do it. Tom Brady model. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just like you mentioned, like no quarterback. I think it's been since, I can't remember, because I know they said it's been like the last 15, 20 years, not a single quarterback that was paid in like the top, like the top five paid quarterbacks in the league have not won a Super Bowl. Yeah. And I think it just goes to show that. And we, we continue to see the new model of that you draft the quarterback, you surround him with as much talent as you could possibly get, you know, unlike what the Texans have done with uh, Deshaun Watson. But most other teams have kind of figured that out, that, hey, let's surround this guy with as much talent as you possibly can, maximize that, that, that rookie contract window, and then that's when all of a sudden you're going to have to pay everybody, and that's when you're going to kind of have to get, make a, a bunch of big decisions to get rid of a lot of players. Yeah. And that seems to be the new model of kind of making it happen. And so we haven't really seen uh, players past that be able to do that outside of Tom Brady. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So anyways, and you know, how do you think well actually this is the last question I want to ask you. What is your thoughts on Justin Jefferson? I just want to ask real quick. As a Vikings, like I think that he for me, like I think that he can easily be a wide receiver too this year. I I, I don't think it's out of the question. I there were some early reports uh that you know Ola BC Johnson is going to continue to be the number two guy there. And that's certainly feasible. Um you know he kind of had an okay finish to the year. He's a I don't remember if he was undrafted or a late rounder. He was something pretty much untold, un, unheard of guy uh, going into last season. But I, I was very impressed with it, what he was bringing to the table by the end of the year. And Justin Jefferson, I, I don't know if you've ever watched his film and stuff, but he's got juice. I mean, he's plays great out of the slot, super smooth, great hands. Uh, I think he's instantly able to step into this offense and produce. And so, uh, you know, he, he – there, there's word that he's going to slide in a slot and Adam Thielen's going to move to the outside, uh, play a little bit more outside, whereas he was kind of like 50-50 before, before uh, uh, last year and before. Um, so, you know, if, if we got Adam Thielen on the outside, Justin Jefferson in the slot, Ola B.C. Johnson uh, on the other outside, or maybe we can get like Irv Smith split out wide while we have Rudolph on uh, playing on the end, you know, 
that's a pretty good look. That's a good looking offense right there. I think a lot of people were questioning us getting rid of Diggs, um, but really there's still a lot of receiving talent on this team. And I think, you know, Kirk Cousins is able to uh, kind of process through his um, selections every single down and, and he knows what he's doing. So if he can find an open guy there, we're going to get up the field. So I, Justin Jefferson, I, yeah, I don't know if I'm as wide receiver two. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if I'm on board with that quite yet. I think he'll, he'll take a year to kind of step in a little bit, but um, I, there's certainly weeks where he could produce. He'll probably be a DFS guy for sure. I had no doubt in my mind. Well, now you're speaking my language, DFS. <laughs> so, anyways, all right. I want to get you out of here because I'm not going to ask you. I, I keep asking all kinds of questions, but uh, hey, it's been so, good. It's been good to get get on and rap again, man. No, I really appreciate you having you come on. I appreciate you telling us your story. Uh, it really means a lot to me, especially on this first episode. So I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Glad to be on. Yeah. So anyways, uh, once, but also, you know, this weekend is Memorial Day. So let, let, let's, let's do remember that. It is not Veterans Day. So I know some people will get a little confused sometimes. It has nothing to do with veterans. It has everything to do with remembering the people that have, have given up their lives for this country and put their lives on the line. And that's what this, this weekend is about. It's not about going to your buddy's house and grilling and, and getting drunk. Awesome to do it. Have fun doing it. But just remember that this is not, you know, this is not about veterans. It's not about any of that. It is about remembering the people that have uh, allowed us to continue to have our freedom and to be able to do what we want to do. So just remember that this weekend while you guys are having fun, enjoying your extended weekend. And once again, you know, I really appreciate everybody checking out the first show. We got a lot of guests we have lined up. Uh, we're going to be doing this probably through July. And remember, we are partnering with the Wounded Warrior Project. Basically, with them, uh, more than 52,000 servicemen and women physically injured in recent military conflicts. Over 500,000 are living with invisible wounds from depression to post-traumatic stress disorder. 320,000 are experiencing debilitating brain trauma. Um, advancement in technology and medicine save lives, but the quality of those lives uh, might be profoundly altered. The numbers speak for themselves because not every warrior can with the support of the community of donors and team members they give them a voice of those needs to empower our warriors to begin the journey to recovery so um that is what we're going to be doing we want to uh donate to the wounded warrior project the link will be in the show description whether it's on youtube whether it's in the podcast we'll be tweeting it out as well and then here really quickly we'll be putting out um some shirts as well you can order to donate so i think it's a good cause especially with this week and everything going up um, just kind of help some people out, especially the people that, you know, put their lives in line for us. So, uh, again, Kent, I really appreciate you coming on. You can find him on Twitter at Kent Wyrock, and you can find me on Twitter at FantasyRap13, Cody at Kutzer, and we'll see you guys again next week. Again, have a great weekend. Said I'm going to serve my country just like my old man. July 29th came and he was gone. A shiny town car parked on that old gravel lot Two uniforms on the front door they knocked His mama started crying She said, you were lying Where's my son? So I'll take off my hat Raise up my drink To the ones that give it all for the U.S. of A Say a proud for the families Lord, give them strength There's a folded flag in a frame And I just want to say thanks On Memorial Day mm-hmm. Good men, good women Gave all they had They were brothers and sisters Mothers and dads your sacrifice will not be in vain So come on and help me sing Oh, I'll take off my hat Raise up my drink To the ones that give it all for the U.S. of A Say a prayer for the families Lord, give them strength There's a folded flag in a frame just want to say thanks on Memorial Day. On Memorial Day. Thank you, Lord. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.